good to have everyone out with us this morning as we come together to always try to strive to be pleasing in God's sight by worshiping Him in the Spirit and in truth. We are going to continue our study on the Take a Stand, Part 4, and I appreciate the songs that Brother Franken has led this morning because it's truly what the message is going to be about this morning, about spreading the word, taking a stand for it, taking a stand for the kingdom, and then taking a stand for that land that we hope to receive one day. And so I appreciate, uh, uh, he had told me this morning when he was telling me about his song choices, I said it goes right along with the lesson, the lesson. so it's very very good. And as Frank had read earlier for us in Joshua chapter 24, verse 15, and if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so on that day, Joshua had took a stand, and he told the people, you can serve them, but as for me and my house, we will serve the true and living God. And, and I'm sure he said it with the hopes that they would choose the right thing. But he took a stand. It took, he took a stand. And we too are to take a stand. And so uh, you have to kind of uh, put last week's lesson into somewhat remembrance of how when um, that false teaching that the uh, Pharisees were teaching in the book of Acts, that the Gentiles had to keep the law of Moses in order to be saved. And we showed that the Abrahamic promises, uh, it was through the law that he was going to separate that nation from all nations. It was from that law that he was going to bring the Christ into the world. And by them keeping that law, that's how they were to remain into their promised land, the land of Canaan. But when they didn't do uh, his will, he plucked them out from that land and he took them into captivity. And so if you keep those those Abrahamic promises, well, that's how our lesson's going to flow. We're going to have our first point is going to be about the seed. That we are to take a stand for the state seed. The New Testament, the law of Christ, the gospel of Christ is the only way to be saved. That's what we got from our text, uh, our lesson last week, that it didn't matter if you tried to bind any part of the old law, and if you tried to bind one part, you had to keep the whole part. And by doing so, Paul says you fall from grace. And we saw that it's by grace we're saved. So if you fall from grace, you are no longer a saved uh, child of God. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, which I, I know last week I said Romans 1.18 when I quoted it, so I apologize for that, but it's Romans 1.16. Paul says to the church there at Rome, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God on salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also the Greek. And so Paul says, I'm taking a stand. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it's the gospel that will save people. Do we take a stand for it? Do we see people doing things in error and do we take a stand for the gospel of Christ and try to teach and preach to them the way of eternal life? In Luke chapter 8, verse 5, the sower of the seed, the, the parable that Jesus taught, he said, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it. Well, there's a sower, 
and he's sowing, and he's sowing seed. And so who is the sower going to be? Uh, who will be that sower? In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, when Paul is writing to the church there at Corinth, he says, Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos but ministers by whom you believe? Even as the Lord gave to every man, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. And so they were the sowers. They went out and were sowing. And then God is the one that gives the increase. That Greek word here for ministers is diakonos. It means an attendant, waiter, deacon, minister. But you really focus in, you were to be a servant. And so they were servants of God. That's who are going to be the sowers of the seed. It's going to be the, those who truly serve God. And what are we to sow? What are we to sow? Again, you go back to Luke chapter 8, verse 11. Jesus tells us very, plain, uh, very plainly that now the parable is this, that the seed is the word of God. And so it is our purpose to, serve, to sow only the seed of God the word of God. We cannot add to it and we cannot take away. As those Pharisees were doing in that day and time, they were adding to the, the law of Christ by trying to bound a law that was no longer in effect. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9, Paul says, For we are laborers together with God. We are servants. We serve one another, but we are serving God together. And we are God's husbandry and we are God's building. And we'll get more on touch on the building part further into our lesson. Paul said the gospel is the power of God. In Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12, the writer says, For the word of God is what? Quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow. And it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And so the word of God is powerful. The power is in the seed. It's not in the sower, but it's in the seed. And so if we are presenting just the word of God the way it plainly is, that's where the power therein lies, is in the seed. He says it's also the word of God is quick. Well, that comes from the Greek word zeo means to live life alive lively so what's in the seed the seed has life in it as long as we are sowing that seed that seed has life in it and as long as as apollos watered he taught upon what paul taught upon and then that seed had time to germinate and to produce fruit first peter chapter 1 verse 22 peter says seeing you have purified your souls in abiding the true through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. And so Paul, uh, Peter says that we have obeyed the truth through the Spirit. Well, how do we have the Word of God? How do we have this written Word of God that we have here today? Well, in 2 Peter verse, uh, chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, Peter says, knowing this, that no property of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. It wasn't the will of man that was giving out the prophecy. But the holy men of God spake as they were what? Moved by the Holy Ghost. And so the Holy Ghost is what gave us the old scriptures. 
The prophets were inspired of God by the Holy Ghost. And we obey God's word, uh, the truth. John chapter 17, verse 17, when Jesus says, uh, Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. The word was given us to us by or through the Spirit. And so that's how obeying the truth, one has purified their soul. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, he says, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. And so what is he saying? It's through the word of God that we knew how we were to be born again. And it didn't come from corruptible seed. If it was just the wisdom of man, it is corruptible. But it came from God's way of thinking. And so it's not corruptible seed. It's incorruptible. That is the word of God. And that word of God, notice that it liveth and abideth forever. Until Jesus comes back, this is the book that we are going to have and that we are going to be judged by. In John chapter 12, verse 48, Jesus says, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words have one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, uh, that same shall judge you in the last day. And so it's by the word of God that we will be judged from. And so even those in the world that reject and, and say that God does not exist or they say that they can stay in, this, in these denominations, it matters not because at the end of time it's going to be from the same words that we try to obey daily that they'll be, that they'll be judged from. Romans chapter 6 verse 17. Again, Paul writing to the church there at Rome. He says, but God be thanked that you were what? The servants of sin. But you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. And so they were no longer servants of sin. Remember, we are to be servants of God, ministers of God. Well, what was the form of doctrine that made us no longer servants of sin and purified our soul, as Peter said? You go to the beginning of the chapter in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 6. Paul says, Know you not that so many of us that were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism in the death, that is like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father. Even so we should also walk in newness of life, that's that being born again. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be also we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that old man of sin and that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. We are no longer servants of sin because we obey that doctrine, that form of doctrine, which was baptism. That's how we were born again. That's how we became that new creation in Christ. James chapter 1, verses 17 and 18, James writes, Every good and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning, of his own will. It was from the Father's will, begot he us with what? The word of truth. That we should be a kind of first fruits of his creation. And so the Father begot us through the word of truth. And we are begotten of the Father by the Word. It is the obedience to the Word that we are born of water. 
We must take a stand for the gospel and we must teach the lost that they are in error of their way. In John chapter 5, verses 39 to 40, Jesus told them on that day, Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me. And you will not come to me that you may have life. And so there's many today in the religious world that they look in the scriptures and they think that they too have eternal life. But they they miss all the teachings that, that, that the scriptures have been laid out that teach that there's only one church, that teach there's only one baptism, that there's only one Lord, that there's only one Father, that there's only one Spirit, that there's only one hope. There's only one faith. Even those who are very religious don't do what the scriptures say to have eternal life. John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There's only one way to get to heaven, and that is through Jesus Christ. That's through his teaching. The truth, we've already seen that the truth is the word of God. In John chapter 6, verse 68. Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And so at that time there was a there was a great departing. The, the people had left Jesus, and so he's telling them if they want to go back, they can leave too. But Simon Peter says, Where will we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And so Peter was saying, we're going to follow after you because the words that you speak are what we're striving for, that eternal life. And so you must hear the word of God in order to have eternal life. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is his testament that we must follow. In John chapter 8, verse 24. I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins, for if ye believe not I am he, ye shall die in your sins. And so that you must believe that Jesus is Christ, the Son of God, without belief in him, you will die. Most people will stop there and they'll say, just ask Jesus in your heart, believe with all your heart and you'll be saved. But James counters that. In James chapter 2, verse 24, he says, You see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. And not only that, but faith is a work. Jesus told that to his disciples. I believe it was in John chapter 6, verses 28-29. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he has sent. And so even faith is a work. Faith only will not justify you before God because believing only will not remove one single sin. It's an obedient faith that we are to have. In Luke 13, 3, Jesus says, I tell you nay, but except you repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Without repentance, we will perish. We will die. And so that's required. Those that believe once you're saved, you can't be lost. This verse refutes it. Repentance is so important, he repeats it a second time. Luke chapter 13, verse 5, I tell you nay, but except you repent, ye shall all likewise perish. 
But also in Matthew chapter 10, verse 32 and 33, Jesus said, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. And so we must confess Jesus Christ. Notice in Revelation chapter 3, verse 5, it was those in the church at Sardis when he said, Jesus said, He that overcometh, well, that would be repentance, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Well, if our, if our name was blotted out of the book of life, he would not confess our name before the Father. And so those who were saved, the church at Sardis, were told to repent, to overcome, and their name will be in the book of life, and he will confess them before the Father. Without confession, we will not be in the book of life, and we will die, because he said he would confess us before his Father. John chapter 3, verse 5, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And so a man must be born again of water and of Spirit. In John chapter 3, verse 3, that's what he says, Unless the man is born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Without baptism, we will not be in the kingdom of God. Very plain. Well, what's going to happen at the end of time on that day of judgment? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 24. Then cometh the end when he, that's talking about Christ, shall have delivered up the kingdom to who? To God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. If you are not in the kingdom, you will not be with the Father at the judgment day because the kingdom is what's given, being given to the Father. And so without baptism, you won't be in the kingdom of God. In Mark chapter 16, verse 15, Jesus says, And he said unto them, his disciples, Go ye into all the world, and what? Preach the gospel to every creature. Well, what is he saying? So to see, they must hear the word of God. You preach the gospel. That's where the power is at. Mark 16, 16, he says, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Belief plus baptism equals saved. In Acts chapter 2, verses 38 and then verse 40, Then Peter said unto them on the day of Pentecost, when they said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. Well, we know that happened at baptism from what Paul told the Romans. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Well, if, he, if they were asking men and brethren, what shall we do? And if he's telling them to repent and be baptized, and then he's telling them to save himself, he's saying, well, if you listen to what I'm telling you to do, you'll be saved. And so repentance plus baptism equals saved. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9, when Paul's writing to the church of Rome, he says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth what the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thy heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. So now we have confession plus belief equals saved. 
Well, God's not a respecter of person, so if one person had to do any of these, all must do all these. And so you must hear, you must believe, you must repent, you must confess, and you must be baptized in order to receive salvation. Without any one of these, one is lost. We must take a stand for the seed. We must take a stand for the word of God in order for us to do what we've been commissioned to do, and that is to seek and save the lost. Number two, just as Abraham was promised that nation, well, there's a new nation. There's a new nation serving God. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation of peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who have called you from out of darkness into his marvelous light. You've been called out of darkness, out of sin, into the marvelous lights of the gospel of Christ. But notice he refers to Christians as a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, Ye also as lively songs are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. And so that holy priesthood is also a spiritual house. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, when Paul's writing to the young preacher Timothy, he says, But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how that thou oughtest to behave thyself in what? The house of God which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. And so we see here that the church is a priesthood, it's a holy nation, it's a house, but we noted, notice that the house of God is the church. And so the royal priesthood is the church, the holy nation is the church, the peculiar people are the church. In Titus chapter 2, verse 14, Paul writing to Titus, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself what? A peculiar people, zealous of good works. And so that tells us right there who Jesus died for. He died for the church. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, that's what Paul tells the brethren there in Ephesus. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Jesus died for the whole world, but you do not come in contact with the blood until you obey his teachings. You do not receive the benefits of the blood until you obey his teachings. In Galatians chapter 6, verses 15 and 16, Paul writing to the churches there in the region of Galatia, he says, For in Christ Jesus... Neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them, and mercy upon the Israel God. Well, notice it says in Christ Jesus. Well, to the Romans, Paul said they were baptized in Christ Jesus in Romans chapter 6. And they were to walk in newness of life. Well, that's that new creature. See, this was where the brethren, the, the Pharisees who believed, that's where they were bringing error upon the Gentiles because they were saying that circumcision was going to save them. But 
Paul says circumcision, if you're circumcised, it's okay. If you're not circumcised, it's okay. What's important is that you obey the teachings of Christ and that you become a new creature in him. But notice this. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them and mercy and upon what? The Israel of God. The holy nation. The holy nation is no longer that, that physical nation of Israel, but it's upon the spiritual nation of Israel. It's the spiritual Israel. Those in Christ Jesus are that holy nation. They are the spiritual Israel. We must take a stand for his church, the one that he bought with his blood, Acts chapter 20, verse 28, when Paul is talking to the elders there in Ephesus. And then point number three this morning, we must take a stand for that land, that promised land that we've been promised. In Jude chapter 1, verse 3, Jude says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write on you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write on you and exhort you that you should what? Earnestly contend for what? The faith, which was once delivered unto the saints. Well, are they taking a stand for the faith for the gospel? In Hebrews chapter 4, verses 9 through 11, the writer says, There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that he is entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works, as God did from his. And so when God created the earth in six days, on that seventh day he took rest. When Jesus, when he said it is finished, that his the work of the Father was done, he said it is finished. He went to that place of rest. Well, we are to labor so that we too can enter into that rest. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. Well, that's talking about the children of Israel. God expects his servants to work for him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, Paul says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always what? Abounding in the work of the Lord. For as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. As we had studied those seven churches of ages, what was the common theme? It was work, work, work. We are, God expects the church to do work. Jude chapter 1 verse 5, this is the reason why you earnestly contend for the faith. I therefore will put you into remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed, destroyed them that believed not. Obeying the gospel is just part of it. That living faithful until death, that's a majority. That is a bulk of what we must do. That is living faithful to God. The children of Israel, when he brought them out of Egypt, it was their unbelief. It was them whoring after other gods that they were destroyed if we fail to take a stand for the Lord we too will be destroyed and not be able to enter the promised land that land of rest Revelation chapter 21 verse 2-4 and I John saw the holy city New Jerusalem that holy nation that new spiritual Israel 
coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they what? They shall be his people, and, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God, this is that land of rest. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the formal things are passed away. The holy nation coming from God out of heaven after Christ delivers it up to God the Father at the judgment. And this is a reference to that wedding feast that we studied a few weeks ago. Revelation chapter 21 verse 7 Jesus says he that overcometh shall inherit all things that would be the father and I will be his God and he shall be my son and so we have been promised that if we can overcome this life that we will inherit all these blessings that God has promised to us and that we will truly be children of his Romans chapter 8, verses 16 and 17. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are all the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so, be that we suffer with him that we may also be glorified with him. We have been promised that if we live faithful to God, whatever belongs to Christ will belong to us. Our hope drives us to stand for God, for Christ, for the gospel, the law of Christ, and for his church. Romans chapter 8, verses 23 and 24. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves. Why are they groaning? Waiting for the adoption, to wit the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope. The hope that is seen is not hope. For a man seeth what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for it? And so it's really our hope of that land of rest that we remain saved. And what is that hope for? Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6. But now hath he ordained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant which was established on better promises. We have a better promise because... They were pointing towards Christ. Their hope was that he would come. Our hope is he already came, right? He's already came. We're hoping to get to where he is. We have better promises. In Titus chapter 1, verse 2, when Paul writes to Titus, he says, In hope of eternal life, which God cannot lie, promised before the world began. If God promised it, it's so. Luke chapter 18, verse 30, when you give up all these things in life, you may have to give up families and homes and this, that, and the other, but he said, when you give up a, a sister, you'll have it a hundredfold. When you give up a mother, you'll, you'll get it a hundredfold. Who shall receive manifold more in this present time, but in the world to come, life everlasting? That's what we're striving for. James chapter 1, verse 12 Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall what? Receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. And so we've been promised that crown of life 
if we can live faithful until the end. John chapter 14, verses 2 and 3, Jesus also made this promise. In my house, the Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, well, we know where he went. He went to that land of rest. I will come again and receive you unto myself. Well, that's when he's coming back at the end of time to receive the kingdom up, to meet him in the clouds, and to give it to his father, that where I am, there you may also may be also. And so we are to, again, we are to take a stand for the word of God. Because without the word of God, we would be all lost. It's how we know what to do in order to be saved. It's how we know what to do in order to stay saved so that we don't ever lose sight of our hope of eternal life. But we must take a firm stand for the precious church because Jesus died on the cross for it. As, as Paul told them in Corinth in chapter 1 of Corinthians, when he says, uh, in verse 10, he says, Now I beseech you, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. For it hath been declared on me of you, of the brethren of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say that every one of you saith, that I am of Paul, and I of Paulus, and I of Cephas, and of Christ. And then what does he say? Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? And then he says, I thank God that I baptized none of you. If you're going to be a follower of Paul and not a follower of Christ, I'm glad that I did not baptize any of you, that you are calling yourself after my name. And so Paul says that he did not die for anyone, that it was Christ who died for us. He died for the church. And so as we had seen in lesson part one, that it all starts by hearing the word of God. That's how faith comes, Romans 10, 17. Then, then once your faith, you're building that faith, well, it is that Jesus is the Son of God, the Christ. That is John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. That's what Jesus says, that the, that the miracles were written, that you might believe that he is the Christ, the Son of God. Once you have that understanding that the way that you're living your life is not pleasing to God, well, that leads one to repentance. And that's what Jesus said, if you refuse to repent, that you will perish. Luke 13, 3 and 5. And then you must confess that he is the Son of God before men. That is, just as the Ethiopian eunuch did in Acts chapter 8, verse 37. And then you must allow someone to immerse you in water to have your sins washed away, Acts 22, 16, putting you in Christ, Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 and 27. That you may start serving God, no longer serving sin. And then you must live faithful until the end, Revelation 2.10. And Jesus will give you that crown of life that he has promised to those that love him. And how do we love him? It's by keeping his commandments. And so if there's any today that have obeyed the gospel of Christ, but perhaps you have uh, maybe um, strayed along the way, well, you can ask for prayers of the church this time and be restored. Uh, we ask that if you have any need, that you come as we stand and sing the song of invitation.